no. wanna get physical, physical. Hey, rockers! Welcome back. It's extra credit, the Rock You podcast. I'm your co-host Seth Hinkley, sitting here with the Charlie Sexton to my Chris Layton. The one, the only, Matt Black. That is a deep reference, Seth. I remember Charlie Sexton, but that's okay. a good one. I, I, I know where he's showing up on your... Uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll maybe, see. maybe, we'll see. Hey, podcasters, listeners, <laughs> podcast listeners, how you doing out there? So what are we doing today, Matt? Oh, Seth, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. We're doing our top five one-hit wonders. Woo-hoo! Or one-hit one hit oneaters, as the... <laughs> the oneaters. <laughs> you might hear. Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a big one. This is a big one. But before we get into that big one, what are you wearing today? Because oh. I'm looking at this shirt and I'm like, this is a weird shirt. They are not a one-hit wonder. Uh, they've already put out some amazing hits and they've got a lot more coming, but you'll hear why I'm wearing it later. I'm wearing my Wet Leg 2022 Tour t-shirt. Just went to see them two weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Uh, I actually can't remember when it was exactly, but just a couple weeks ago. Amazing band, amazing show. Check them out. But you'll hear more about them in a bit. And I'm sporting my Austin City Limits shirt. Here's what I want to know. If you guys can figure out the reference that I made to uh, myself and Matt when we started, and then the Austin City Limits shirt, if you can put all that together and email it, because I don't think it's going to come up in the podcast, but it might. So, But if you can figure that out, email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. And tell us what the connection is. If you can pick out the connection, I'll be surprised, but uh, it'll be good. And by the way out there, if you're sending us emails, that's great. And we love getting your emails, and a lot of you are sending them. But level up. Send us an audio recording of your voice. You might just hear it played back to you on a future episode. Yeah. All right, so One Hit Wonders... What are your criteria? Because okay. I know we talked about we this. We did, Seth. And you and I might go toe-to-toe on a few things here, but I had both subjective and objective criteria. You are such the scientist with your, with your maybe different criteria. <laughs> First of all, I had a few subjective criteria. Okay. The basic way I look at a hit, I think you and I don't necessarily 100% agree on this one. Okay. A hit, to me, is a song that most people know. Right. Okay, and most people can even sing along to. And you and I were talking about the difference between a one-hit wonder and a two-hit wonder. Right. For me, a one-hit wonder was a song or a band where most people can't name the second hit. And right. wouldn't, I would not consider it a hit as a result. Another way for me to look at this is if songs have crossed a generational line. So all okay. my songs, even the ones that aren't recent, everyone that I know at Rock U from age 8 to 88 knows the song or at least has heard it. But these bands may have had other hits that, that the younger people will have no idea of. Okay. A subjective criterion I used is most people can name the band that's singing when they hear a hit. But okay. usually with one-hit wonders, they can't because that band doesn't necessarily have a catalog to become a familiar right. sound. So yeah. that's another way. It's like everyone knows the song, but no one knows who it's by. Those are some ways I looked at it subjectively. Objectively, if I had to go you know, to get a, a judge's ruling, I simply went to Spotify. <laughs> okay. And my criterion was that the one hit had to have an order of magnitude more streams than the next most popular song in that band. By that by, artist? By the same artist. Okay. So an order of magnitude 
magnitude is a scientific term, in case you're not familiar with it, basically means there's an extra zero in front of the number. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I, 10, thought you were, I thought you were million, about to go to, yeah. it, it's two standard deviations past no. the mean ten, from their average ten, hit ten, number. 10 million streams is an order of magnitude more than 1 million streams. Right. But 5 million streams is not. Even though it's five times as many, they both have the same number of zeros. That's the way I looked at it. Okay. So those are my criteria. What are your criteria? Okay, so I looked at it from both a subjective and an objective standpoint to make this list. Subjectively, it had to be a song that I really liked. And I'm assuming that that's also the case yeah, with you. Yeah, I should have added that to you, yeah. of course. The objective part of it was it had to be in the top 40 on a registered, usually a billboard chart. And some of these were in the top 40 in multiple countries. And the artist could not have had another song that reached the top 40. That's my objective criteria for this list. And my honorable mentions, I've got a boatload of these things. This is a lot more... Uh, There's a lot out there. A lot more songs to go through than I thought when we started this thing, because my list immediately went from... Songs yeah. that these and these were songs that I really like. I had a list of over fifty of those, and I think I had more than more than that on the ones that I wasn't sure that I liked that much. Yeah, but it makes it easy because in the end, you just choose the ones you really like the most. Yeah, exactly. So who's going first? Up to you. I never remember. Why don't you go first? Okay, I'll go first. So my Spotify list was actually over a hundred songs for this, and when yeah. I had to get it down to five, four were easy. But four were easy, the, but the you had to fight easy. for the fifth. But but no, I yeah, but I had about ten songs which had a legitimate claim to get on the list, and I had to choose. So this one was one I struggled with, but I did I did settle on one, and it's "Build Me Up, Buttercup" by the Foundations. And the my reason, wife loves that. It's song. a great it's a great song, and I have some, a few more things to say about it. But one of the reasons I struggled with it was because the Foundations did have other contemporary hits, but none of them have stood the test of time. I didn't know any of the other songs. I don't think most people do. And I also yeah. think if you ask 100 people on the street what song it is, play that song, they'll know it's Build Me Up Buttercup, but they will have no idea it's by the Foundations. I had no idea so, it was by the Foundations. All right. So and just to, just to give the Spotify stats, 400 million streams for Build Me Up Buttercup. Wow. Their next most popular song on Spotify has 10,000 streams. So that's a couple, <laughs> many orders that's of magnitude. multiple different. orders of magnitude. Um, I also, by the way, I should also say I favored songs that had an interesting story or something about them that made them distinctive. Like you usually not just, do. Not just a good song. The unsympathetic yeah. narrator. Uh, no, not this time. Oh, okay. The foundations are interested be interesting because they were one of the very first integrated rock groups. The foundations were a British band with a West Indian horn section. Wow! And the other members were either British, white British, or Sri Lankan. And oh, they got cool. a lot of they got a lot of attention at the time for being an integrated band. And it's a very interesting story. So the song is great. Everybody knows it. It's one of those songs that got a lot of popularity when it showed up in movies. Many, yeah. many decades later, I think yeah. in this case, the, the movie that really got it back on the map was, um, oh my, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, there's something about Mary. Something about Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's something about Mary. But it's just a great song. I challenge you to listen to the song and not smile. Yeah, it's a great song. Okay, my number five is Lunatic Fringe by Red Ryder off one. the album As Far As Siam from 1981. This Canadian rock band is their one and only hit, and it reached number 11 in 1981. Tom Cochran, who sings and plays guitar on the track, wrote the song after becoming concerned about a resurgence of anti-Semitism in the 1970s. Relevant today. Yes. 
And some people think that the murder of John Lennon was the song's inspiration. However, Cochran had already written the song by the time that the assassination happened. And oddly enough, they recorded the song's first demo the evening of John Lennon's murder. Cochran has stated that his feelings about the event and how it echoed the theme of his song galvanized him to release it as a single, despite advice from the record label that the song was not commercial enough. Evidently, they were wrong. (laughs) The song's widespread influence inspired Cincinnati's rock radio station, WEBN, to pay homage to it with their early slogan, WEBN, The Lunatic Fringe, which they introduced in 1984. And then in 1988, they updated the slogan to the Lunatic Fringe of American FM, which allegedly they kept in use up to uh, November 2018, and they might still be using it. Lunatic Fringe, that's my number that's good five. One. Good one. I remember that song. I, w- I don't know if that one, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't know if any of the kids at Rocky would know that song. It's they might song. not. You ready for my number four? Hit me. Okay, this one is, a, I think, a pretty significant song. Before I tell you the band, I'll say that the song has 130 million streams, and their next most popular song has 22 million, so that's an order of magnitude difference. Yeah. And this is their only top 40 hit. I'm going to start off by challenging you to name another song by this band. Okay. The song is Whip It by Devo. Oh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, see? That's, that's a hard <laughs> that's my one. That's my subjective criterion. <laughs> most people would probably know that Devo also recovered a really cool cover of I Can't Get No Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And they have other songs, and some people would know some of the other songs, but most people don't. Whip It is an enduring classic. Whip It's significant for a few reasons. First of all, most people think that it's about bondage and <laughs> sadomasochism, yeah. but it's not. It was actually meant as a parody of cliched, can-do capitalist phrases like, come on, let's get them. And if you hear these go through the song, the kind of things you'd see on a poster above it's somebody's not too desk. Late. Yeah, no, yeah. but I'm saying like... <laughs> <laughs> with a cat hanging from a tree, like hang in there. You know? yeah. They didn't mean it to have anything to do with bondage and S&M, but everyone thought so. And they were like, yeah, let's, that's going to make it popular. Let's go. Let's, well, part let's, of let's it, do it. Part of it was the video with the But with that the was whip. a response to people's response to the song. Ah. They did. They made the video and man was like, yeah, this song's about bondage and whipping people. And they're like, no, it's not. But let's lean into that and make more money. Okay. Um, the, the main riff in the song is just ripped off from Pretty Woman. If you hear the riff in, the, in your head and you hear the Pretty Woman riff, you'll realize it's basically yeah. the same riff. Oh, by the way, younger fans who may not know Devo certainly know Mark Mothersbaugh, who has written yeah. tons and tons of TV and movie and video game music. The Rugrats is, pops into my head and off the top of my head. Can't think of any others, but that's all right. He's out there. Google it, people. This was a hugely influential song. Even people who didn't like it couldn't deny that it was something important in the culture. I would say softly without any evidence to back it up, but just my impression is that Whip It is one of the songs that made being nerdy cool. Yeah. Which was counterculture at the time. In the Reagan-dominated 80s, this was something yeah. that was like, all right, you're going to wear funny glasses and talk in a cartoonish voice and do a very unattractive dance. That's counterculture. And Devo was so counterculture that this was their only song that got into the mainstream for the most part. And that makes them a one-hit wonder. My number four. That's Whip true. Whip It by Devo. I would say the, the bands that made being nerdy cool were definitely Devo, they might be giants. They were later, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they yeah, might be giants. 90s, later. later, they might be giants is 90s. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah but yeah. making nerdy cool, those are a couple of bands that really did that well. Well, and being cool while being unpopular is kind of what 
made 80s new wave 80s new wave <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah sort of it <laughs> yeah that's the whole game <laughs> all right what's so your number four my number four is walking on sunshine by katrina and the waves ding 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 <laughs> I, I meant to i meant to call the over under on this one at 1.5 and i was going to take the over but yeah that's my number one that's so your you number go, one you go okay. ahead and talk about it and i'll add when i get to number one uh, I'll, I'll add anything that i have no i'll just do it now actually okay so, all right yeah so it's the only top 40 hit in America. It reached number nine on the charts. It was written by the band's guitarist, Kimberly Rue. Kimberly's a guy. He said, I'd love to say walking on sunshine relates to a significant event in my life, like walking out of my front door and seeing a comet and being inspired. But it's just a piece of simple fun, an optimistic song. Despite us not being outstandingly cheery people, we were a typical young band, insecure and pessimistic. We were, I love this, we were a second on the bill at a festival in Germany pop band, but we had this song. The rest of the band didn't like the song at first. The The lead singer, Katrina, and I'm going to mess this last name up, Lekan... I've got it as Leskinich. Leskinich. But who knows Sorry. if that's pronounced correctly. Yeah. Thought it really wasn't us, while their bassist Vince De La Cruz found it irritating. <laughs> irritating they, all the way to the bank, my friend. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, and and so much so because Katrina and the Waves kept the the song's publishing rights, and the royalties that are typically to the songwriter have been divided amongst the band members. And the royalties from airplay and advertisements have been extremely lucrative. I think I saw something on the internet that said they earn seven figures on this song every year. I wouldn't That's be, how ubiquitous. This I wouldn't thing be surprised is. if yeah. Well, in I have down here. I don't know if you caught this, but that in 2015, BMG bought the publishing rights. Oh, they for, did for 10 okay. million pounds. Wow, which was split up. All right, so oh, I got. Uh, oh, you, you got are more you still going on. You got, no, no, no. You got more. Go just for a little it. bit. No, I think you said the most of the stuff I was going to say. Just I was going to say this is a perfect pop song. There's, oh, yeah, there's totally. not a false note in here. And that's what happens with a one hit wonder. Sometimes lightning just strikes in the most unlikely places. It's a great song for just how good a song it is. It doesn't have to have a yeah. great story. I will say that I saw a quote from the singer, Katrina Leskinich, however now that's pronounced, that she thinks the song will outlive her. And it definitely will. There's no question it totally. will outlive her. I mean, it's in tons of advertisements and movies. People keep going back to this song. Oh. And it was released in 1985. This thing is almost 40 years old, and people are still singing it today. All right, so what are we on? You're on your number three. Okay, strap yourself in. All I right. Have a, I have a lot to say about this next song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this song is an outlier on my list for two reasons. First of all, technically it's a cover. Okay. But it's it's a cover from a time where the concept of a cover song was not so important, because bands, uh, band's job was to record a song, and someone else's job was to write the song. And But it's also a song I don't uh, particularly love. We'll, we'll allow that. We'll allow yeah, no, the cover. No, of course I'll. Of course I'll out, but I'm just saying. It, but this is a this could be the most significant one hit wonder of all time. It's not number one on my list because I don't love the song. Okay, um, and because it's a cover. But anyway, and because it's a cover. Okay, uh, my number three is Louis Louis by the Kingsmen. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the theme song, if I am not mistaken, the theme song 
of the Marching Owl Band of Rice University. That is definitely not in the top 100 significant things about this song. <laughs> no, it's not. But Okay, I got a lot to say about Louie Louie. I'll try to keep it sort of brief. The original song, original is in quotes, by a musician named Richard Berry, who I've never heard of, recorded in, or released in 1957. The song is actually based on a jazz tune called El Loco Cha-Cha, performed by Rene, <laughs> band leader Rene Touze and his band. There's so many reasons why this song is significant, but let's get to the Kingsman, first of all. The Kingsman recorded the song in 1963, and it's their version that has become not only the definitive version, but maybe one of the most important songs in rock and roll. And I'll explain a little bit more about that. Yeah. But they heard it on a jukebox. They heard it with relatively poor audio quality because it was a noisy place. And they basically copied it wrong. <laughs> one of the things that the song is significant for is it brings in an Afro-Cuban beat to American rock music. So yeah. that bump, 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 bump. bump, bump. Bump, bump. That's an Afro-Cuban beat. The yeah. original beat is actually four beats and then two beats. So bump, 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 bump. But they didn't hear it well. They yeah. thought it was only three beats. So it doesn't matter. It's good enough. <laughs> Close enough for rock and roll, as we say. <laughs> so that's significant because that beat now shows up all over rock music. Yeah. Then another thing that was really significant about the song was the do-it-yourself grunge quality of it. This song became a touchstone for grunge rock and punk rock. I'm going to share, share some quotes with you. First of all, this is the world's most recorded rock song. There are oh, wow. as many as 2,000 recorded versions of Louie Louie. Yeah. The Kingsman went into a studio that had three microphones, so there was no individual miking of instruments. This is 1963. The microphones were suspended from the ceiling, so the singer Jack Ely was basically pointing his head up at the ceiling, and by the screaming way, he wore, he wore braces mic. at the time, which is why it gets that <laughs> screaming, unintelligible quality. Um, so the version was very sort of rough, and the band wanted to do it again, but their producer was convinced that it was going to be a hit just the way it was. And it's true. Yeah. They captured some of the authenticity, some rawness, which is an important part of garage rock, punk rock, grunge rock. Here's some quotes. So rock critics Dave Marsh and Greel Marcus believe that virtually all punk rock can be traced back to a single proto-punk song. Louis Louis. Another music historian, Peter Bletcher, says Louis Louis may actually prove to be immortal. Uh, Grill Marcus <laughs> said it, called it a law of nature. New York Times music critic John Perillis wrote in an obituary for Richard Berry, who recorded the song originally, called it a cornerstone of rock. Other quotations, musically simple, lyrically simple, joyously infectious, deliciously moronic, a completely unforgettable <laughs> earworm, and the essence of rock's primal energy. And one last one, it served as a bridge to the R&B of the past and the rap scene of the future. And finally, it came to symbolize the garage rock genre, where the typical performance was often aggressive and unusually amateurish. All that you need to make a great rock and roll record are the chords to Louie Louie and a bad attitude. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned it's the most recorded rock song of all time. Listen to this list of bands that have covered Louie Louie. The Beach Boys, Otis Redding, The Kinks, Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention, Iggy Pop, Toots and the Maytals, Patti Smith, Motorhead, The Almond Brothers, New York Dolls, Blondie, Black Flag, Stanley Clark and George Duke, Barry White, <laughs> The Fat Boys, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, Rory Gallagher, The Bangles, Sisters of Mercy, Husker Du, Meat Puppets, The Minutemen, The Hives, Smashing Pumpkins, and Neil Diamond. I want to hear the Fat Boys version. <laughs> I want to hear a bunch. Of, I actually listen I want to hear a lot of I listen to the Fat Boys version. I really want to hear the Fat Boys version. So there's so much to say, but again, the attitude, the quality of aggressiveness and do-it-yourself, the amateurishness, the Afro-Cuban beat, these are all legacies of Louis Louis. It's a hugely historical or hugely important song historically in rock and roll. Yeah, and for, for the unpolished recording of that song, it's just... Amazing. I love that they heard it off of a jukebox. Yeah. 
and got got stuff wrong because jukeboxes are notorious for not playing sound well. well. I think it and was just it, that it, it was a noisy environment yeah, where they were listening. And yeah. also for being in noisy environments. Yeah. So you add all that yeah. together and it ended up on the record probably the way that they heard it in wherever it was, whatever uh, they, establishment it was that they were listening I, I, to I'm it I'm glad in, you said that because which I, is want, great. I forgot a whole element of it too. One other hugely influential part of it was Louis Louis basically is what got the idea that rock and roll was somehow subversive or obscene into the public mainstream because the FBI investigated right. the FBI investigated the lyrics, which, by the way, are totally innocuous. It's a song about a sailor from Jamaica going on a sailing trip and looking forward to getting back and seeing his girl. Ironically, they missed uh, if at, at second fifty four. You can hear the drummer messes up a fill and screams <laughs> an obscenity, which is perfectly audible if you listen with earphones. So go to zero <laughs> zero fifty four on the track. But but the lyrics here here they are. Fine little girl waits for me, catch a ship across the sea, sail that ship about all alone, never know if I make it home. Three nights and days I sail the sea, think of girl constantly. On that ship I dream she's there, I smell the rose in her hair. See Jamaica, the moon above, it won't be long. Me see me love, take her in my arms again, tell her I'll never leave again. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it, <laughs> but if you listen to the, the Kingsman's recording, no, you, can't tell. you can't tell what they're saying most of the time. That's and that's and that's, that's why the FBI was like, oh my God, it's subversive. Well, Because you can't understand it. More than the FBI, that's why you listen to so much rock and roll and you see the the feeling is much more important than the actual lyrics. And that's something that also originates from Louie Louie. I was going to say, too, there's a few other things. There are Louie Louie festivals where for an entire weekend, yeah. no one will play any song but Louie Louie. Um, <laughs> it was, there was an effort to make it the state song of Washington State. Uh, and when the Kingsmen were still around, they would play the song for 90 minutes at a time. Oh wow! They would literally play a ninety-minute version of the Man. song. Man, so I think I think it's time that, to move on. But that that makes Zeppelin's dazed and confused yeah. going for a half hour seem short. Yeah, Louis, <laughs> my number three could have done a whole episode on it. Louis Louis by the Kingsman. What's your number three? So my number three is "Beats So Lonely" by Charlie Sexton. Wow, I know it reached my criteria. It's probably a song that most of you guys don't know. It was uh, a song by Charlie Sexton, who is a child prodigy, to say the least. He was the lead guitarist for Joe Ely's band in Austin when he was 13 years old. I remember that he was a, yeah. He recorded his debut album at 16 years old, which included this song, Beat So Lonely. And the song placed at number 17 on Billboard's Hot 100 in April of 1986. I was about 16 or, or in April of 86, and man, I wasn't doing anything as monumental as getting a song on the Billboard Top 40 at that point. The funny thing about this song is there aren't any vocals until more than a minute into the song, which kind of makes the beat a little lonely. Wouldn't you say? Mm, I would. <laughs> a little tone painting there. So Charlie was later the guitarist for the Archangels, and he also played with Bob Dylan for three or four years. Mm -hmm. So he was in Bob Dylan's band. But Be So Lonely is, it's a song that I've loved ever since it came out. It's in rotation on my phone a lot. But I'm sure it's it's one that you guys would have to go dig up. There's really good guitar work on it. And it's it's just, it's a fun song. And I think you guys would like it as much as I do. I remember when Charlie Sexton was the the big artist around for about the 10 minutes in 1985 when that was the case. Yeah. And I remember him having a hit, but I don't think that was it. 
That was the one. That was the one. Okay, Be I'll so to, long. I'll have to go back and listen. <laughs> All right. You ready for my number two? Ready for your number two. Okay. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention with uh, Louis Louis. Louis Louis has 117 million streams. The Kingsman's next non-Louis Louis related track has 2,000. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So my number two, which by default is my number one because we already covered uh, Walking on Sunshine. This particular artist... The song that I'm about to reference has 83 million streams. That's their. That's not that many. It's not that many, but your Charlie Sexton song has 1.6 million. So I'll. I'll okay. I'll, I'll no, it's, it's allowed. Yeah. I'm just. I'm just saying <laughs> no, this but, is but your number on, one because no. you like but it. Hold a lot. on. The band's second through eighth position songs on Spotify are uh, all different versions of the same song. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the ninth song is a different song and has 5,000 streams. Um, <laughs> the song is eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny. By Tommy Two-Tone. Great song. One of my favorite songs and a true one-hit wonder. Like Katrina and the Waves, Walking on Sunshine. It's just a great song. It is. There's, there's not a lot to say about it musically. They were just out to write a four-chord song, and they did. There's a little bit of a dispute among the members of the band. And the, by the way, the principal songwriter was not a member of Tommy Two-Tone. He was a friend of theirs who was in a different band. Oh. But there's a little bit of dispute. Uh, about where Jenny comes from, where the number comes from. By some accounts, she is a real person and that was her number. By other accounts, they just made it up. Right. But the other really significant thing about this song is after that song, no one with that number could keep that number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> because they were getting thousands of calls a day. Um, it's Asking interesting where some Jenny people, was. Some people had to change their number. Many, Lot, many, many, th- many people had to change their number. I guess not thousands, but however many area codes there are. But also people bought the number for sometimes millions of dollars to use it for advertising purposes. Oh, wow. Uh, but just a little touchstone. So the song came out, I think, uh, I don't have it written down, but certainly in the 80s. It was in 1984, the something like mid-80s, that. Mid-80s, yeah. 85. As recently as two. 2013, a business was assigned that number someplace in Ohio, and they had to change it because they were getting thousands, still getting thousands of calls a day. <laughs> so that is a song that the kids at Rock U, even the young ones, they've all heard, they all know. I don't know where they get it from, yeah. but uh, that's my definition of a one-hit wonder. And maybe, if you, if you maybe because they listen to the doodads play it. No, I don't think so. I don't think I don't think the little kids do. If you ask most people, some of them are going to know that that song is by Tommy Two Tone. No one is going to be able to name another song by a Tommy Two Tone. I could. I had one. the record because I liked the song so much. And as we've talked about before, if you wanted to listen to the song, you had to buy the record. Yeah. Because you, you know, or tape it off the radio, which wasn't easy. I don't remember the other songs on the radio. I'm I'm on the record because it wasn't. They weren't that good. They were. This was one hit wonder. <laughs> lightning struck. What's your number two? Okay, my number two is "You Get What You Give" by the New Radicals. It's a good one. Yeah, it's on. Maybe you've been brainwashed too from 1998. It reached number 36 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and outside the U.S., it reached number five in the U.K., four in Ireland, and number one in Canada and New Zealand. The lead guitarist for U2, The Edge, is quoted as saying, you get what you give is the song he is most jealous of. Hmm. He said, I really would love to have written that. Joni Mitchell, of all people, praised you get what you give for rising from the swamp of music like a flower of hope. I I know there's been a lot of talk about this song, about the last verse where they go after Courtney Love and Marilyn Manson. They did that kind of as a joke to see what the media would pick up on with that song. Would they pick up on the prior verses that were dealing with a deeper subject, or would they go after (laughs) the low-hanging fruit of talking about other celebrities? The media went after the low-hanging fruit, obviously. It's a great song. It's got a great groove. It's just lots of fun to listen to. 
Well, let's go right to your number one because you All already right. got mine. My number one is a song that literally I can't stop listening to. It's a true one-hit wonder because the artist is Mark Ronson and the song is Uptown Funk. It's Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. It's not a Bruno Mars record. It's a Mark Ronson record. And it's his only top 40 hit as an artist on Billboard. It topped the charts in 19 different countries and reached the top 10 in 15 different others. In the United States, it topped the uh, the Hot 100 for 14 weeks. It spent seven weeks at the top of the UK singles chart. It's certified 11 times platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America and six times platinum by the British Phonographic Industry. It was even number one here in France. As of October 2022, the official music video for Uptown Funk is the eighth most viewed YouTube video of all time, having received over 4.7 billion views. And this track, this track is not like a lot of the other ones that we've talked about. It took them a hundred takes to get this track down to where... What? Yeah. A hundred takes before it was finished at Ronson's studio in London. And evidently, they went back and forth on numerous things. They switched out the chorus. They got rid of the chorus. There was one point, there was a hard rock bit in the middle where Bruno Mars was cursing like a sailor, allegedly. And uh, they got rid of that. And they got, they got rid of that part. An amazing song. And then there's, and then there's the legal part of it. Uptown Funk has been the subject of several lawsuits over copyright infringement. In 2015, similarities with Oops Upside Your Head by the Gap Band (laughs) led the Gap Band with keyboardist Rudolph Taylor and their producer to be added as co-writers of Uptown Funk, receiving 17% of the publishing royalties. And then in 2021, part of the Gap Band had to file another lawsuit because they weren't receiving any publishing rights income yet. So <laughs> there's, there's also the legal part of that song. Great song, great hit. I hate to stir up controversy, but what about Valerie? Valerie didn't make the top 40. That was my rule. All right. Well, we'll have to dig into this one in a future episode because I suspect, I'm, I'm surprised, first of all, that Valerie didn't make the top 40. But I suspect that this, is make gonna, the, this could lead into a conversation about the way that the charts are now done and what Valerie might have predated this where streams are, are counted too. Maybe, but it was a uh, billboard chart. I think Valerie chart, got okay. in, if I remember this correctly, and I may not be remembering it correctly, but I think Valerie was at 43 on Billboard. Interesting. Wow. All right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Close. Close, but not top 40. All right. All um, right, dude. Honorable mentions? Honorable mentions. Man, I got so many. You, got you want to go first? Yeah, I can go first. Okay. I could have done this just with new wave songs. I so, pretty much did. <laughs> Tainted Love, Soft Cell, I Melt With You, Modern English, Whip It by Devo that you had on your list. You Spin Me Round Like a Record by Dead or Alive, Major Tom, Coming Home by Peter Schilling, Voices Carry, Till Tuesday, Take On Me by Aha, which makes number one on a lot of people's lists. I Know What Boys Like by The Waitresses and Turning Japanese by The Vapors. I would argue with you about The Waitresses because they had Christmas Rapping. Christmas Rapping. bigger song than I Know What Boys Like. Didn't make it to the top 40. All right. All right. Well, <laughs> I could have done this with yeah. rockers like My Sharona by The Knack, Nicole by Point Blank, 8675309, Jenny by Tommy Tutone that you had on your list. Closing Time, Semisonic, Absolutely, Story of a Girl by Nine Days. 
A song I thought was going to be on your list, Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne. I'll explain why it's not. Keep Your Hands to Yourself by the Georgia Satellites, Beds Are Burning by Midnight Oil, and Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. I could have done this with electronica dance music. Cars by Gary Newman. She Blinded Me with Science by Thomas Dolby. 19 by Paul Hardcastle. What's on Your Mind? Pure Energy by Information Society. And Pump Up the Volume by Mars. And then there's a few other on the list that are just really odd, but still one-hit wonders. The Super Bowl Shuffle by the 1985 Chicago Bears. (laughs) Take Off by Bob and Doug McKenzie, (laughs) featuring Getty Lee of Rush. Take Off to the Great One. (laughs) Yeah, such a great song. And then a a Broadway (laughs) tune. Called One Night in Bangkok by Murray Head from the show yeah, Chess. That counts. That counts. Yeah, it totally. I didn't know counts. it was a Broadway tune, but yeah, yeah, it's on the radio a lot. It was. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's my shortened list of honorable <laughs> mentions. I could have gone on forever with that. But what's what's on your list? Well, I I will just tell you the songs that didn't get that fifth spot. Okay, and something brief about them, and or maybe why they didn't. What I like about you by the Romantics is a song I love, but they did have another hit, "Talking which, Your Sleep." Yeah, which I think I think a lot of people our age would know. No one else that's not our age. Yeah, you mentioned "Take on Me," a staggering one point two something billion streams. Yeah, um, that's the perfect pop song. <laughs> uh, well, I, I didn't include it for a reason, but I didn't think it made the I didn't make okay. make the cut. "Jump Around" by House of Pain, which a lot of people Good don't one. know, was originally written for. Cypress Hill, they didn't want it. Someone tried to sell it to Ice Cube, they didn't want it, so House of Pain got it. You mentioned Voices Carry, yeah, uh, and I love that song, but that's a song that uh, Amy Mann is still a significant songwriter, and she's done a lot of other things in her career. That's just Till Tuesday's only hit, so I'd use that one. Yeah, uh, War by Edwin Starr, didn't yeah. use that one because it was actually a cover. Uh, Stuck in the Middle with You by Steeler's Wheel, that one it was really Good close one. for me. Um, I Can See Clearly Now by Johnny Nash, which is a song I love, but I think that the Jimmy Cliff version is better, and Jimmy Cliff had a lot of hits, so I didn't use that one. Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet. Good song. Uh, Closing Time by Semisonic, you mentioned. I would just direct people's attention to this one because it's actually got a really interesting backstory and how Closing Time was written and why. It's not what you think. So go check check that out. How Bizarre by OMC, which is a song I always liked. The Final Countdown by Europe. Uh, My daughter loves that song. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And my last two, I didn't use because I'd already used them on other lists. Play That Funky Music by Wild Cherry. Yep. And Stacy's Mom by Fountains of Wayne, which you mentioned. It breaks my heart that Fountains of Wayne is a one-hit wonder, but by my both objective and subjective criteria, they are. Their other music that's not well-known is really great. So go check out Fountains of Wayne. Those are my honorable mentions. And if you guys have a list of your top five one-hit wonders that you think we should have gone through... Send us an email or make a voice recording and send it to us at podcast at rock-u.fr. But it's probably on our longer lists. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We didn't didn't want to take four hours to make this episode. (laughs) If you want to listen to the songs that we mentioned on this podcast in their entirety, there is a Spotify playlist that you can find in the show notes that has them all. 
All right, Rockers, we're back, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Matt's super scientific brain, <laughs> and we're going to talk about the physics of music. Now, we're not going to do the Olivia Newton-John, let's get physical thing. I no? want to get physical, physical. physical. <laughs> Let me hear your body talk. Sorry, go on. <laughs> All right, Matt, drop some science on us. What are we doing today? All right, I wanted to talk briefly today about the physics of music with a little bit of a twist at the end. Um, we talked a couple episodes ago about frequency resonance when we talked about Janet Jackson uh, crashing hard drives. Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson. Was it Rhythm Nation? Yeah, it was yeah, Rhythm crashing Nation. Crashing hard drives because of frequency resonance. And we brought up this the idea that a sound wave has a frequency, which is basically the number of vibrations per second. Right. I wanted to get a little further into that and why we hear music the way we do. So first of all, let me play that tone. That is a concert A. Okay. That's 440 vibrations per second or 440 hertz. That's a, a measure that most orchestras use to tune, although some change that up, which is another story completely. But Yeah, there are oddities with that, but most people give 440 hertz. That's your concert A, 440 hertz, and different notes are, call, are called pitches in music, and pitches have frequencies. So I just want to talk a little bit about how we hear them together. So I'm going to just move down an octave for, for my physical comfort. So here's an, here's an A an octave down. So if concert A is 440, the A an octave below mm -hmm. is 220. Okay. So vibrations per second. So when you hear the two notes together, they sound really good together. Yeah. The reason they sound good together is because mathematically, those waves line up in a very nice way that hit your ear in a very pleasing way. Right. Now, these pitches between, we have 12, by the way, the 12-tone the scale that we use in Western music arose independently in almost every musical culture in the world. There are a very few exceptions, very few. Right. But the reason why all humans hear these tones the same way is because of the mathematical relationship between the notes. It just makes sense to our brains and our ears to, to hear that way. So here's the, all the 12 notes in the scale. Oh, I went too far. Sorry, I went up to C. I meant to just go to A. So that's the A. So if you take the two A's, they sound good together because the ratio is 2 to 1, 440 right. to 220. If you play the fifth of A, which is E, that sounds really good also. Yeah. Because the ratio is very simple, 3 to 2. So 220 hertz for the low A, 330 right. for the E in between the two A's. If you take the fourth of A, that also sounds really good. That's a D, play them together, it's also sounds really good. The ratio there is four to three. Those waves line up well to our ears. So right. the, the interval sounds pleasing, the chord sounds harmonious. Right. But we talked about the tritone. Yeah, that was what I was going to ask you about. So the ratio of the tritone, which in this case is going to be E flat, the ratio of the tritone to the A is going to be, hold on, let me look this up, 45, 30 seconds. So that's weird. Mathematically, that's not a good ratio. No. It doesn't hit our ears well. Here's what it sounds like when you play it as a chord. Ouch. It's what we would call dissonant. Right. So each of these notes is an interval from the A, so... That's Jaws. That's a major second. That would be like happy birthday. Yeah. Then you got a minor uh, minor third. That's like seven nation art. Okay. Then you got a major third. That would be oh, when the saints. Perfect fourth would be next. We already did that. That's actually like the wedding march. Right. Then you got that tritone. 
The Simpsons. Then you got the, <laughs> then you got the perfect fifth, which is the most pleasing interval outside of an octave. Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars. <laughs> then, you got, then you got the minor sixth, which is pretty rare, actually. You might hear it in like The Entertainer by Scott Joplin. Yeah. Then you got the major sixth. If I had a few, whatever those lyrics are in my way. Then yeah. you've got the minor seventh. There's a place for us, like in West Side Story or Star Trek. Then you got the minor. <laughs> that's the minor seventh, sorry. Then you got the major seventh. And you recognize that? You recognize it if I play the whole thing. Oh, sorry. Take on me, there take you on go. me. We just talked about that. <laughs> and then you got the octave. Somewhere over the, the rainbow. rainbow. So these are all mathematical relationships which affect how we hear the two notes together, how we hear the interval when it's played as a chord. Right. It's all math. It is hardwired into our brain, but the associations that we get from the chords are learned culturally. So, for example, the whole idea of a minor key, minor tonality, right. we consider sad in modern music. The reason why is because there's so much out there that tells us, if you hear this, you should feel sad. Right. In, uh, before the 1600s, there was no association between a minor tonality and sadness. It didn't exist. Hmm. And even though not all cultures have the same, the, so the same cultural touchstones, it turns out if you uh, – studies have been done where music will be played from a culture or in a language that the listener is not familiar with, and they're, they're able to identify the, to the, the feeling behind the song the emotional most of tone, the time. Yeah. Exactly. So this is something that we learn from another whole phenomenon, which makes us good music listeners, called neural mirroring. We're good at communicating. So we're good at interpreting the emotions of others and feeling those emotions ourselves or at least accessing those same emotions when we hear cues in right. language – Works in music too. Here's the weird thing. Are you going to M Night Shyamalan? I'm going to M Night Shyamalan your your brains here <laughs> right now. So, and I'm going to thank Mr. Doug, listening to Chicago. I hope for this uh, this little little help with this piece of knowledge here. So, if you go up from the low A on a piano, to the high A on a piano, you're going by octaves, right? Which means the frequency doubles. Each time. Every time. Yeah. But if you go up by fifths, and I'm not going to play it because I'll make too many mistakes. If you go up <laughs> by fifths instead of octaves, where the ratio is three halves every time, if you start with that low A, it happens to be 27.5 hertz. Okay. Whether you start with octaves or fifths. If you just do the mathematical ratios, when you get to the high A, you're dealing with 3,520 hertz or 35 kilohertz. Okay. Here's your problem. If you do it by fifths, you get... 3,568.024 hertz, which obviously is not the same number. No, it's not. The reason why is because it's the logarithmic scale of frequency. You can't make a piano or a guitar or any musical instrument that is in tune across the entire range of its sounds. It can't be done, which is why wow. in the 1600s, when multi-chordal instruments like harpsichords and pianos started and organs right. started coming into existence, and they actually had to deal with this stuff for the first time, which is why pianos are tuned to what's called equal temperament, where every note is exactly the same small amount wrong okay. to make the whole thing sound. So if you play the same thing in two different octaves at, a, at the same time, it doesn't sound out of tune. Right. Speaking of neural mirroring, to our ears now, if you create a perfectly tempered instrument and try to play it, it sounds out of tune to us. 
because okay. we've grown accustomed to equal temperament. Is that why when you see a piano tuner, they're really doing it by ear and not necessarily by measuring the, the hertz of the note? I, I have never seen a piano tuner work, but I'd be shocked if they're not using a specific frequency for every string in the piano, for every key. Okay. Because that would they'd have to. They'd have to get exactly the right amount wrong. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know. Let's go watch a piano tuner and report back. All right. <laughs> so equal temperament. That reminds me of the old joke. Did you hear the one about the guitarist who was in tune? No. And neither of you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So everything, I mean, and you can see it's cool. People will try to do experiments like guitars where every string has its own fret length so that it's not all the same. And you can right. see these weird looking microtonal guitars. The fact is they sound weird to us. They just don't sound right. So literally every guitar is technically not perfectly in tune because of the pitch. And every piano. And every piano and all those others. That's right. That's why I'm glad I played drums, man. We don't have to worry about that. We'll, we'll talk about <laughs> tuning drums another time. Did you like having your face rocked off by the student band concert? Then you've got to come back for the adult bands. La Boule Noire. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Matt, tell them all about it. February 5th. Watch our nine Rock You adult bands absolutely shred the stage. Actually, it might be 11. Now I lost count. They're going to absolutely So many bands. <laughs> so many bands. They're going to crush it. And if you are inspired by this great show, you can join too. Watch the kids have all the fun. Semester two starts February 13th. All right, kids, we're back. You know what it is. It's the one-minute matchup. I'm ready. You ready? We Warming study for in this my corner. One. We study for this so stinking <laughs> much. All right. The question today is thanks to one of our listeners. Oh, is it? Yes. Are guitar solos obsolete in today's music? We're going to go for a minute each. You guys know how this works. And do you have the stopwatch ready? Stopwatch is ready I, for you. Because I think I'm going first. Okay. All right. You ready? My minute starts. Three, two, one, go. All right. So our guitar solo, uh, you know, I guess I looked at this and said, are they popular? Because uh, it's really hard to find a guitar on today's top selling recordings on Spotify and Apple Music, uh, let alone one with a guitar solo. I mean, I think Taylor Swift, I mean, having all the songs in the top 10. Yeah, she had guitar on it, but I don't think there was a solo on any of those. Um, are they obsolete? Heck no. You just need to know where to look. So check out Wolfgang Van Halen on Mr. Ed and You're to Blame by Mammoth WVH and The Wire in the Morning by Dirty Honey uh, and Back from the Dead by Hailstrom and Death by Rock and Roll and Only Love Can Save Me Now by The Pretty Reckless. And that's just to name a few. All right, I'm out. 46 seconds. 46 really seconds. Really should have been 45. Yeah. That's a new record for us, I think. All right. Yeah. So uh, how long do you think you're going to go? Uh, three minutes, maybe. <laughs> three minutes? Okay. I will seed you my extra Woo! 14 seconds. I got 14 seconds, seconds, baby! So you can have a minute 14. Can I shave off a little more time even by just reminding you that I'm wearing my wet leg t-shirt? You can <laughs> Told you it would come I back. I don't know how that's shaving off more time. Well, but... two seconds, maybe. Okay. Also, but... can I just say no? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right, I'll try to keep it real. All right. All right. Your minute starts now. 
All right, there's a great scene, and it might get loud by... Uh, let me start again. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. We'll reset, all and right. you still get the extra 14 seconds. Yeah, okay, 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 thanks. Okay, right. Now, for real, your, yeah, minute, yeah, okay, okay. your minute starts now. There's a great scene in the documentary about electric guitar. It might get loud where Ed says that the, the death of the electric guitar keeps coming around every 10 years or so, and it never works out that way. Annie Clark, who's better known by her rock and roll author, he goes, uh, St. Vincent said, every few years someone says guitar is dead, and it's just simply not the case. It's going to get reinvented, and the cycles are going to continue. The guitar is never going to die. And that includes guitar solos. We will always have violin and piano because of classical music. Right. We will always have saxophone because of jazz. We will always have electric guitar because of rock and roll. Guitar is a uniquely expressive instrument. It can bend notes, change tones, play chords or single notes, and it will always be used as a form of musical expression. As Bruce Springsteen said, I got this guitar and I'm learning how to make it talk. Everything cycles. There might not be much in the top 40 now, but kids at Rocky are still listening to music made from the 50s to the 2010s. Our top three covered bands by our uh, Rocky kids and teens are Green Day, Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Arctic Monkeys. There are yeah. still plenty of guitarists out there making music with brilliant solos. Tom Morello, John Mayer, Jack White, Billy Joe Armstrong, Ray Toro of My Chemical Romance. And what's more exciting to me is the new voices on guitar. Interestingly, a lot of women like Rian Tisdale and Hester Chambers of Wet Legs. St. Vincent, Brittany Howard, Romy Madley-Croft of the XX, Emily Kokel and Teresa Wayman from Warpaint. That's not to mention Kevin Parker of Tame Impala, Mac DeMarco, Post Malone, Steve Lacey, Tom Mish, Sam Fender, etc. Uh, popular in other, in, other, in other genres, too. The guitar solo is never going away. Minute 31. Yeah, so I went over a bit. Thanks for you, that 14 you, seconds. You went, you went 17 <laughs> over your allotted time of a minute 14. I cut down a lot as I went. So. <laughs> no, the guitar solo is not obsolete. It's just taking a rest. It's always there. It's always there. Like I said, you just have to know where to look. We say today's rock music, and how do you define that? Is it music that people are listening to or music that people are making? It may be falling out of favor in music that's being made right now. Could be. But it's not falling out of favor with music that people are listening to right now, which yeah, means that's true. it will be back. Everything cycles. So was there something on this podcast that you wanted to talk to us about? Did we get something wrong? Do you not agree with some of the stuff that we said? Then you need to email us at podcast at rock-u.fr. This episode of Extra Credit, the Rock You podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Big Pebble Records. Big Pebble Records is your one-stop shop for music production in Paris. Everything from the creative side to the technical side to the business side. You can check out what they do at www.bigpebblerecords.com. And of course, you'll hear a lot of Rock You artists on that label. Extra Credit, the Rock U podcast, is a production of Rock U. Expertly engineered and recorded by my good friend Seth Hinckley. And our theme music is written and produced by Tom Walters. Rock U is a nonprofit association, Loi 1901, and we'll see you next time.